Welcome to the Blackcast. Happy Thursday. Blackcast 457 here, which is another musician-themed episode. And we've got two more musician interviews. A little later, we'll talk to the guys from In Theory. Mike Moster, who we had on last year. And this time, he's joined by his bandmate, Tony Cavino. But first, joining me now is Aaron Lee, who you know as basis for both Y&T and the Frank Hannon Bad. He's also a solo artist in his own right. He's got a great new song, a super catchy song called uh, Live for Today, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Christian. Yeah, this is great. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I always uh, like to kind of try to find out from musicians that I'm talking to for the first time. What were some of the earliest memories you have just musical? Was music always on in the house? Were your parents fans of a certain kind of music? Or did you just uh, start listening to stuff on your own? What uh, What's the earliest memory for you just listening to music as a kid? Uh, some of the earliest things, like I remember the first time I heard Nobody's Fault But Mine by Led Zeppelin. I must have been like four years old, five years old, whenever that record first came out, Presence. And, and it scared the hell out of me when I first heard Jimmy Page's guitar creeping in. And I was like, wow, what is that? It's like I wanted to run and hide somewhere because it was just so like immense, but I was attracted to it, you know? So uh, that was one of my earliest, um, you know, introductions to- uh, Yeah, you know, sure. Something that would just blow my mind, you know? And, and like yeah. Boston, you know? Heard a lot of Boston around the house, a lot of old Fleetwood Mac, you know, things like that. Classic rock stuff. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Fleetwood Mac. I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but your new song, it's part of an EP that you did. And I noticed that the Fleetwood Mac song that you cover on your EP, it's not a particularly well-known song you know jewel eyed judy you know and it's sort of like from the very early period of fleetwood mac it's like i, I was reading a little bit uh, doing some background before i was going to talk to you it's like bef like christy mcvee is like on that that album but she's not a member of the band you know it's like before stevie nicks is there uh talk a little bit about choosing that so it's a great song by the way i'd never heard it before uh before i heard your version talk a little bit about uh choosing that specific fleetwood mac song you know uh that uh why you do again it's not a particularly well-known one but uh what it was about that song that uh, you liked it so much well it's another one of those early um listenings when i was really young that just it caught my ear and it stuck with me my whole life of how much uh, I love that song. And yeah, you're right. It's it's from a very early record. I think it was like 1970 when it came out. And uh, actually, Christine McVie did the artwork on that record. It was a song that really just stuck around in my mind for my whole life. I've always loved it. Thought I could do a, a pretty good rendition of it. I kind of approached it more of like if like T-Rex took the song and did something with it. You know, it was uh, just one of those things, you know, I just grab it and and thought maybe i could bring this to life and let the original and that that's exactly what i did that's what i did this morning i wanted to hear the original and uh you know it's funny because uh, i enjoy listening to music but i'm not musically inclined and if i were to play the music that i heard a lot growing up in my house it would be my mom's eight tracks of barry manilow and john denver so i think it's great for the world not that they're not very talented songwriters but i don't think anybody needs to hear me covering uh, any of the songs that my mom used to listen to when i was a kid i think your parents had much better taste than uh, than my mom did no there was a lot of good music floating around the house constantly and uh and i was being challenged you know because when i started to uh, get into what i liked which was kiss you know i mean when i got into kiss at around 10 years old you know kiss alive 2 uh just blew the roof off for me and 
um, then my my stepdad, uh, he would be like, oh, nah, not Kiss, man. Listen to Journey, you know. So and that was, I think that was at the time when the Departure record, Journey Departure, was out. And I loved Journey. What I was hearing as a kid, you know, it really opened my mind. And then I went back and I listened to all the early Journey records, you know, when I was a kid. So all that kind of stuff was a big influence on the type of musician, I guess, that I would become because of uh, absorbing quality. You know, there's not a whole lot of quality anymore. It's hard to find. I mean, I know there's some young bands. Dirty Honey's got something going on that sounds really cool that I like. Uh, Rival Sons, kind of an older but newer band uh, that I really dig. Um, I'm, I'm getting into the uh, Licorice Quartet, which is a couple guys that used to be in the band Jellyfish. They put out some new stuff. There is new music out there that's really great, but there's just a lot of stuff, man. I just can't. I can't wrap my head around and relate to. <laughs> There's so much out there, which is great, but it's so hard to sort through it and and obviously to get attention for it. And I'm sure that you're finding that, you know, getting people to to notice that uh, you're putting out this new music. It's great. You can have all these fans who follow you and keep an eye on on what you're doing, but just sort of getting somebody new who maybe knows you from another band. It's uh, obviously a little bit of a challenge. And you did mention, you know, some of the some of the great new music out there, but there, boy, there sure are a lot of more bands besides those, those ones you mentioned. I'd never heard of the licorice quartet, but uh, first of all, that's a great name. And uh, I'm, I'm actually very interested in uh, checking them out uh, after I talk to you, but let's talk about sort of how you got to this point where you're putting out this solo material. You've been a, a part of Y&T for about, I think about five years now. I was reading uh, about you and, uh, the first show you played was a, a place I've been to many times at the Canyon Club in Agora Hills, just a little bit uh, up the 101 from here. So you've been with that band for a while, and you're also in Frank Hannon's band. And how did you get to know Frank? Uh, he's a great guy. I've had him on this show. Had uh, Brian Wheat on a couple times from Tesla's too. Those are they're all great guys. How did you get to know Frank, and how did you end up uh, playing with him in his uh, solo band? Well, currently I'm not in his band. I recently just did a video and a single uh, that he called Ride Strong. He just put this out. I played on the track and I'm in the video. The way I met Frank was going back to um, 2012, I was booking a venue here in town where I live. I, I was the guy that would deal with the entertainment. He was in the venue having lunch one day. I didn't know it was him. I kind of just turned around and, and he was standing behind me with his kids. And I kind of said to my buddy who was with me, I said, hey, is that Frank Hannon? Kind of looks like Frank Hannon. He goes, yeah, that's Frank. So I introduced myself, started having a little chat with him. And he asked me, you know, told him I was a bass player, asked me uh, what kind of gear I was playing out of, who I'd like to listen to. You know, and then he got my number. And then I'd say about a month later, he's out on the road with Scorpions. I get a phone call. I said, whoa, Frank Hannon's calling me. And uh, he asked me to go jam with his drummer at the time in his solo band while he was on the road. And we jammed together. And she liked what was going on. Her name was Courtney D'Augustine, great drummer, by the way. And so she told Frank, hey, this is the guy. We should uh, get this guy in the band. So that's pretty much how I started rolling with Frank. But, you know, I've said this numerous in numerous interviews and I'll just keep saying it. You know, uh, after I met Frank in 2012, I kept telling him, I'm going to make a T-shirt that said, uh, making dreams come true since 2012, Frank Hannon. <laughs> <laughs> really been a guiding force in my musical career you know it seems like we always just stay in touch and we're always 
either collaborating or, you know, he's playing on my stuff, I'm playing on his stuff, whether I'm in or out of his band at the time. I always check myself and think, you know, what would Frank do in this situation, this musical situation, you know? He's just been a, a great friend and a great mentor, and he's always looked out for me. So I really appreciate Frank Hannon. I've talked to him and I've also talked to some younger, newer artists that uh, he's been producing and collaborating with. And uh, it seems like he's always got a lot going on. You know, he's certainly not a guy who just wants to sit back and, you know, be a part of his his band and like, yeah, we'll just go out there and play our hits. You know, I mean, he's always working on new stuff. You know, again, I know better than to believe everything I read on Wikipedia, but it gives me the impression that uh, he was instrumental, uh, no pun intended, in you getting uh, to actually join one. Uh, did uh, he just uh, give you a good recommendation when at a point when they were looking for a new bassist? How that works out where he kind of played a, a role in it was when I was in his solo band, when Tesla started getting busy and they were going to go out with Def Leppard and Sticks, Frank had a great idea to just basically, instead of leaving me behind, he brought me into the fold, into the Tesla family, and I became his guitar tech. And I went out on that tour with Leopard and Sticks and Tesla. And did that, you know, for it seems like about at least a year. So I had, you know, the, the technical aspect down of being a stage guy and, and being Frank's guy. And, and Jill Manichetti was aware of this, the YNT manager. So she called me and asked me if I'd be willing to come out for a month long stretch of a YNT tour to do some teching because their guitar tech couldn't do that portion. So I did 30 days with YNT as a guitar tech. And then uh, I just basically, you know, thought that was the end of that. And about two weeks later, I get an email from Jill asking if I'd be uh, interested in possibly joining the band. And I think that was just stemming from that. They knew I could play. They knew I could do the job. It was just a matter of could we travel together? Could we hang together, you know, as people? So they made the offer. And I, of course, jumped at it because YNT has been one of my favorite bands since I was a teenager. That must be great. I mean, because look, you know, getting to guitar tech for that band is is a pretty cool gig in its own right. But then actually getting to play with this band that, you know, at, at that point, I don't know, they've got like, you know, 30 some odd years of history. Uh, that that must have been great. And I know that Y&T have sort of an interesting chapter of their pandemic pandemic history is that you guys were out on a on a fairly uh, big tour and you almost snuck it in. From what I was reading, you uh, had to cancel just the last few dates, but uh, you'd been out there a lot. And then just all of a sudden, I guess the uh, pandemic uh, put the brakes on the YNT tour and that kind of just left you at home, right? Correct. Yes, that's what happened. And we got lucky in that situation because we got to uh, finish the tour except three shows. Of course, everyone thought that maybe things would just get back to normal quickly, you know, as we were told. But that didn't happen. So I'm sitting around thinking, uh, well, what am I going to do? Well, I got to stay creative. So that's what sparked to put out a single and then another single and then another single and then compile some songs together to uh, put out on a physical product, which is the CD, the EP that I just put out, self-titled. And for me, it's like, what am I going to do? Sit around and, and just hang out, you know, pet the cat. I don't know. So I... <laughs> Walk 20 feet down the hallway and I can start recording, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that way. But that's that's where I started to just let this music come out, kind of got on a roll here. So 
Yeah, and I've talked to uh, a, a lot of musicians over the last year that uh, you had wanted to do some solo stuff, but uh, you were always uh, the catch-22. You were too busy uh, being out on the road with y &T. So suddenly you have the time and you put out these uh, these great songs for the EP. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, Live For Today, the current song that's out right now. It's not a cover of the grassroots song Live For Today. Not that that wouldn't have been cool, but it's a great song. And as I mentioned in the intro, it's incredibly catchy. And I mean that in the best way possible. You know, I mean, it's look, you can hear a lot of new music that doesn't have a, a great chorus and a great hook. And I think this has both. Talk about uh, writing that song in particular and what the inspiration was for it. Well, I had the music... Uh, for a little while and I was you know for me the hardest thing to do when writing is writing the lyrics it's always been difficult what started to come out was just basically in my situation I just started looking around and thinking well here I am today I don't know what's happening tomorrow whatever happened yesterday is irrelevant so uh, that's kind of the spark of the lyrical content and there's also some lyrics in there that you know kind of allude to how mixed up things are in the world right now, at least in, in my perspective, I think that uh, things are very upside down, turned around and shaken uh, and stirred to a point of who knows what is going to happen tomorrow. You know, things are changing so fast. It used to be uh, weekly, monthly, yearly, you know, big changes, but big changes are happening daily now. So that was all part of the, the content as well. You know, just taking a look around in your own world and saying, where do I stand today? Am I happy? Am I cool? Is everything all right? You know, am I healthy? Just taking it for what it is at the moment, you know, living for today. You know, I think that uh, it, it's a great message because, uh, you know, I mean, this was uh, fairly early in the pandemic. I realized that uh, the last thing I should ever be doing is uh, watching or reading anything that's news before I go to bed because uh, then I'm not going to be able to sleep because it's like you're saying, it's not like everything changes day to day. And it's like hour to hour. The world is uh, so crazy. You like to have those moments where you're like, oh, things feel OK right now. Things feel better now than they did a little while ago. But uh, boy, yeah, you're never really prepared for what it is. And I think it's interesting because you have another song on the EP called Insanity. And uh, that's kind of a, a similar idea of just sort of getting away from everything, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you could just uh, pack up your life and, you know, get off this this planet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a few guys who can get off this planet. Uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, you know, they're sending people into space. I, I don't think I, I can afford the ticket, but uh, there's something to be said for, you know, this is the time in life where it's like, well, now all of those like science fiction, you know, that you saw like as a kid about, you know, people having to leave Earth behind and move on to, you know, colonize Mars or something crazy. You're like, oh no, I kind of get it now. You know, it's as crazy as it it seemed when uh, I was a kid. It's a great message kind of in both of those songs. It's, I think, a way a lot of people feel right now. In reading about the solo music you put out, I don't know if it was just the Insanity song or it was the album on the whole, but I was reading that uh, you not only sang, but you played all the instruments, at least on some of the songs, right? Yeah, I uh, played everything except on Insanity. Frank Hannon played the guitar leads and the guitar stabs, you know, in the beginning and stuff. Uh, and also on Live For Today, Frank played on that one as well. It was kind of like when I did Ride Strong, he already had a bass track on his song and he sent it to me and I was like, wow, this is this is a cool tune. He said, well, I want you to play bass on it. I said, but man, your bass sounds great. 
just leave it. He goes, no, but I want Aaron Lee to play on it. So I was like, well, what am I going to say? No. So, of course, I played on it. Then I sent him Live for Today, which didn't have any guitar solos. It was basically a bass breakdown, which I thought, well, there's there's really not many uh, songs of bass solos anymore, like Getty Lee getting down in the Rush tune, Free Will. But he heard the song and he and then he said, hey, man, are you going to put this out the way it is? I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, let me put a solo on it. So he did. He returned it to me in a couple of days and I was pretty blown away. And, and then there you have it. Song was done. <laughs> that's great though that he's uh he's like yeah you know what here let me let me uh, put a little solo because it's like the song's good why not uh, help out with this it's great to have somebody who is uh, so collaborative like that now yeah. i know uh to some extent i know yNt will actually be back out on the road for people interested in that it's uh, yntrocks.com are you hoping to do any uh solo performing uh, before then or between yNt gigs or is it uh, a little harder to get that stuff off the ground right now because of uh, you know, things are opening. I mean, I don't know where you live, but I'm in LA and I keep being told that I'm going to be able to go to the Hollywood Bowl uh, later this summer. Uh, I just, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I'm constantly playing solo uh, acoustic. And, uh, you know, when we talk about my, my solo music, my originals, that's going to require a full band. And that's sure, something yeah. that I haven't even thought about, really. I mean, I, I kind of got some thoughts about it, but I don't know uh, how busy Y&T is all of a sudden going to get. And then if I want to jump into forming a band to go out and play my stuff, it sounds like a great idea, but that's something I really have to weigh out. Um, but I'm constantly doing solo acoustic things here around town in the Sacramento area. So I try to stay busy with that. But hopefully Y&T's calendar is going to get stabilized and things will remain open and more openings will happen and we'll just continue where we left off, I guess. I mean, I would say much like, you know, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra is always busy around Christmas time. Y&T, it's like, well, it's summertime. You know, you need, to, you need to, to rock out to Summertime Girls and obviously all the other great songs. But uh, I, I can see that, you know, sort of being a, a big time. But also, I mean, boy, it's just, you know, every day you're hearing about this festival, this tour and all that. And I think it's great uh, for places where people feel comfortable, you know, going to concerts. Uh, I think it's uh, fantastic. And, uh, I, you know, I saw that uh, Y&T has a, a good number of dates coming up in the fall. And, yeah, hopefully it all it all fills in. But that's great, though, that you get to. So when you play uh, acoustic, you can do some of your originals or is that just mostly kind of uh, is it a little bit of covers, a mixture? How do you do that when you do the uh, the acoustic shows? No, I haven't introduced that yet into uh, my solo gigs around here around town. I'm planning on that. You know, like I said, though, this music isn't really based too much. Um, I, I would need a full band to make it what it's supposed to be a watered down stripped down version i could probably pull that off and and you know make it interesting but i would rather come out guns blazing you know yeah let, let the songs be heard the way they were recorded you know i i wouldn't want to go out uh half cocked so to speak to uh play a watered down version of something that's way bigger than you know the sound of just one acoustic guitar but I, uh, I just have a lot of fun playing solo gigs and doing uh, what I call vintage rock covers, vintage, vintage rock and roll consisting of, you know, all the stuff I grew up on. Basically, I just play what I like, you know, and if other people are in the room that are digging it right on, you know. You were talking about uh, earlier, you know, when you were a kid, uh, you know, listening to uh, Kiss Alive, too. 
And, uh, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about that, it's like, look, Journey's great, but uh, nobody spits blood or breathes fire in Journey, you know? So it's like, you can appreciate that music, but when you're a kid, it's like, yeah, but who's cooler than Kiss? And uh, it, do, uh, do, you, do you have, uh, you know, if you're doing acoustic shows, I guess you could work a little hard, hard luck woman in there. Do you, uh, do you have any uh, Kiss songs that you like to play? You know, like you're saying, you're just playing stuff for fun. Uh, is there uh, is there one that stands out uh, or maybe a, a journey song? Well, I've, I've been doing Beth in my acoustic set, which translates to acoustic very well. But a journey song? No, I cannot yeah. sing by Steve Perry. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's good. That's good that you realize that you can't sing like Steve Perry, you know, <laughs> because uh, only Steve sings that way. And, the, you know, the guy they have now, Arnell, it's crazy. I saw them with Def Leppard a few years ago. And, you know, just to just to hear that voice come out of that guy, you're like, all right. So I guess there's two guys who sing like Steve Perry. But uh, that's that's about it. Uh, I'm glad you're uh, able to get out there and perform live. Have you done like a big Y&T show uh, yet in the last year or so, or is that all about to, to happen in the near future? So uh, I think the one that I saw, the first one is in Reno. Is that going to be your first time in front of a big crowd since uh, before the pandemic? Yeah, that will be the first one coming back out. And then the next night we're doing uh, where I live here in Rockland, California. We're doing Quarry Park Amphitheater, which is a really nice uh, park setting amphitheater situation. I'm told it's almost sold out. And so we're really looking forward to this to get back out there, even if it's just these two shows right now. You know, things will pick up. So, yeah, looking forward to getting back out there and, and hanging with my band, man. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I've talked to, you know, some comedians who have gotten back out there and just the impression you get is the idea that people are getting to be in front of crowds again. The crowds are just so excited. Friends of mine are in a Kiss tribute band uh, and they played at a minor league ballpark in Lake Elsinore, California, uh, a few months ago. And it was one of those ones where, you know, you were standing outside in the parking lot outside of your car. But uh, boy, was that fun. It was the first like live music I had seen in, I think I counted it, it was 54 weeks. And, uh, you know, people were just so excited. And uh, obviously, if you're going to put on a, anything that even approximates a Kiss show, that's going to be fun. But uh, yeah, I think it's great. And it's sort of weird because I've gone to a couple of baseball games where like the capacity is like, I don't know, 25, 30%. And you're like, oh, this is so much more pleasant than what it's usually like to go to a sporting event. But uh, for a concert, being able to get out there with a big crowd, uh, I'm excited. I still don't know exactly what the, the first like real like big show I get to is going to be. But uh, that's great that you know you're going to have a, a big gig like that uh, coming up. Just to finish off, in terms of your solo uh, output, you did this uh, EP. Do you have some other songs kind of floating around that you might put out at some point? Or is the focus going to be back to Y&T pretty soon? You know, I, I think I'm just going to keep putting things out as they come. Um, I'm a guy that work. I take one song and I'll work that song uh, until it's finished. And then I start another one, you know, it's process. But um I think I'll continue to to release music as long as it's coming to me. As I've said before, you know, if I've got the antenna up, if I'm receiving something, it's kind of it's shooting right back out, you know. Absolutely. And uh, the website is Aaron Lee, L-E-I-G-H dot com. So that's where everybody can uh, find out about the new music uh, and anything else that's coming out. Uh, Aaron, uh, it's been great chatting with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Christian. And I'd like to add that uh, if you do go to Aaron Lee dot com, 
You can listen to Live for Today um, on the website. You can stream it from there. And you can also purchase a download if you like the song and you want to continue to play it in your car or on your phone or wherever. AaronLee.com. Thanks again for your time, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. Now are Mike Mostert and Tony Cavino. They are both uh, part of In Theory. They have a great song uh, that we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, the, the River song. But Mike, it's nice to see you again. And Tony, it's nice yeah, to meet you. Uh, when Mike and I spoke uh, last fall, we talked about some of the different kinds of music that uh, he felt were influences to him. It included uh, jazz, R&B, soul, and even some techno. So uh, Tony, what were some of the musical influences you had just when you were younger before you even you know started to take to take any interest in making your own music um i mean a lot a, a lot of a lot of different bands you know any you know obviously beatles um you know i, I started i started getting into like in high school started getting into like harder rock like uh you know acdc and zeppelin and stuff like that um but you know my my family's a musical family so you know i i followed you know my cousin joey franco was in a band called the good rats uh long island and uh they used to play the coliseum and all places like that so i was sort of like i grew up on his on their music um and then slowly got into you know when uh bands like striper came out and things like that you know the hardest stuff but uh, i also love um all the all the classic singers you know and, and anything with good vocals on it i'm a fan of it could be michael jackson it could be you know uh, lady gaga i don't care if it's a good vocal then i'm a fan of it so i've never really attached to one particular thing um i'm, I'm more of a fan of uh good vocalists and and great melodies and things like that yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Lady Gaga because, like, when there have been those performances where it's just her at a piano, you're like, you yeah. know, you can hear her pop music and you're like, yeah, she can sing. But that's like, yeah. you know, when you're like, oh, wow, so she's she's got all that. And, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, though. When if, if, if somebody's a good singer, uh, you know, yeah, of course, there's going to be exceptions where you can put good vocals over some truly terrible music. But I think for the most part, it's not going to get to the point where we as consumers are, are hearing that. And uh, I agree. Uh, Mike, uh, sort of a, a similar question for you. Uh, I, I know that we talked when we talked last time, we talked about some of the uh, eclectic musical tastes. Uh, but question really for both of you. When, when does it go from I like to listen to music to, oh, you know, I, I feel like uh, I've, I've got 
some knack for anything. And what was the, did, did you like to just play guitar? What was it first for you, Mike? And then I'll ask you the same thing, Tony. So when did I start playing or what really perked my interest? Yeah. What, what was it that made you think like, Oh, I want to start playing. You know, did you, did you see somebody, whether it was on TV or, or a performance or uh, just, you, you just wanted to kind of approximate what you were listening to? No, there was a few things. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a very, same thing as a, Tony, a very musical family. Um, you know, and I started playing guitar at five years old, but I guess, you know, the person that really got me into rock and playing more than anybody is my brother. So he was three years older than me. So, you know, when you're 11 years old and they're 14 years old and he's a bass player, you're looking up to him. So he's going to expose me to, you know, at the time, Rush and Black Sabbath and, um, you know, all, all those bands, Aerosmith and goes on and on and on. Um, and he's one that took me to my first concert. And actually my very first concert was Triumph was, you know, and, and that really just wow. got me going. Yeah. Of course, I had um, all the Kiss records. I had, uh, you know, Aerosmith rocks, and I would just listen to it over and over and, you know, and mimic all those rock guys. And, you know, and eventually, as time went on, you know, some other musical influences came into my life and where, you know, I got into, like, Return to Forever and, you know, Al Miola and, and those guys. And um, but I've always just been, a, you know, a rocker at heart first. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when you think, I mean, you, you mentioned Aerosmith Rocks in particular. I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I'd say Toys in the Attic is kind of the same way. That's one of those ones where every track you're like, well, why would I skip this, you know? And right. even bands like Aerosmith later in their career, there's probably like, eh, I could probably skip this one or that one. But in that in that moment, and, you know, probably because it makes an impression on you when you're impressionable. But, uh, I mean, the music from that era it's uh you know it was like unskippable i guess is what i'm trying to say and uh to be able to soak all that in uh i'm sure it made a huge impression on you uh tony sort of the same thing really uh was there you know was it was there like an equivalent of like an aerosmith rocks you know for you and an album that was just like i just gotta keep listening to this again and again because it's so great yeah i i think you know thinking back when i was you know, younger, I, I would say like the Kiss Alive record, um, only for the presentation, like, you know, you would open the record up and it's like the whole, like these guys weren't from, they're not normal, you know, like they're not someone you'd see walking down the street. I've always admired like the rock star kind of thing, like being different. Um, that, that sort of got me attracted to uh, wanting to get into it, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely Aerosmith rocks, you know, uh, a lot of Dio stuff, um, you know, but, uh, like I said, I, I, I always listen, you know, like Michael Jackson and things like that, where, you know, uh, a great melody is a great melody, great singer is a great singer. So I've always tried to encompass a lot of different flavors into uh rather than just being a rock guy or a metal guy yeah you know, i sort of like to blend all those little different things in um you know even older bands like three dog night and stuff like that i mean they have great songs you know cactus and all those bands so i just try to encompass like all that stuff into one but but i would say i remember sitting on my living room floor with the kiss alive record and opening it up and seeing that stuff that sort of got me intrigued you know 
Yeah, and there's definitely, obviously, you know, that is one of those live records that's a little bit less live than it seems. But uh, when you're a kid and you just hear and you're just like, oh my God, you know, there's, you got cannons going off and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And uh, right. that presentation, I'm, I'm sure, is uh, very exciting. Uh, so, you know, you guys both have sort of soaking in a lot of music and it's great. I mean, look, you re referenced Michael Jackson a couple of times. I mean, there's a reason that the thriller is still one of the best selling records of all time, you know, because of, uh, you know, what the, it, you know, Sure, some people probably came for the Eddie Van Halen guitar solo on Beat It, but I think for the most part, <laughs> you were there for a guy who could, uh, you know, sing like nobody else. So, how do you guys get to know each other uh, and start uh, working together? When when does that happen? And uh, did you did you have mutual friends, or how do your uh, your paths cross? I'll ask you, Mike. Well, our paths crossed. Uh, well, Tony had a band, Big Mouth, at the time. And I always make that running joke. So they, they were auditioning guitar players and um, they had the big, you know, roll call of, of one. And, and I, I was the guy. <laughs> so I passed the audition of, of one. And uh, and then, you know, musically, Tony and I just hit, hit off, uh, you know, right away as musicians, as friends. And, and I always have to, you know, not to throw a damper at things, but, you know, also the thing that bonded Tony and I way back was, you know, both our brothers died, you know, within several months of, of Tony and I knowing each other. So that made, you know, like a stronger bond than, you know, you know, I mean, the strongest family, stronger than family. You know, it, it's a club that, um, you know, that um, I don't wish upon anybody. And I think that's, it's still, a, I think that's the, the passion, the emotion that still lives with us, whether we do music or whatever we do in our lives. But that's how we we met, you know. So we're, you know, we're friends, we're bandmates, we're we're business partners. But you know, we're we're you know, we have this special bond, you know. Yeah, and and I can imagine that uh, you know, as terrible as it is to uh, to lose uh, you know any family member, the fact that you both had somebody that you know, a lot of times. You know, people always mean well, but they usually don't know how it feels. But you actually had somebody who literally knew how it felt. And I can imagine that, you know, had uh, you both been lucky enough and something terrible like that didn't happen, you'd probably still be friends. But I can I can see how something like that coming along, uh, you know, in that moment uh, really. And, and, it's, forges... and it's really also kind of, kind of ironic that, I, you know, my brother was one of my musical idols and got me into music. For Tony, I think he left that out earlier. You know, his brother was signed to Atlantic in the in the late '60s as well, when he was like 15 or 16 years old. So Tony was following his brother's footsteps as well. So we both had great role models to you know get us into into the whole music world. So, uh, and uh, you know, we're, we touched. We're, we're fulfilling that we're fulfilling their dreams in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I know we touched on this a little bit last time, Mike, but uh, so you guys actually had a contract, uh, I think you were under contract uh, in the 90s or the early 90s, I think, right? And uh, right. that didn't uh, work out, but you guys, you know, it's not like that put a damper on it. You guys still continue to con collaborate uh, after that, right, Tony? Yeah, that was um, 90, 95. Uh, we were signing a... a EMI records in Europe and uh, yeah but it's sort of like that you know we were a little too late to the party because then all the music started to change um, as far as you know the grunge thing and all that stuff um, but you know on its own the project was was amazing um, 
and we were doing quite well with it. It's just that the music just turned and we were just at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, or at the right place at the wrong time, however you want to say it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we always collaborated. We always worked on songs. We have a lot of songs placed on sitcoms and, you know, and it's not like we wrote music for sitcoms. It's actually, it's our songs and they used our songs to be on sitcoms. We have something on, uh, you know, um, this movie uh, called Sex Drive, Seth Green's in it. It's a worldwide release. We got a song in that movie. Um, you know, we, we've been on Showtime, um, HBO, you know, all kinds of stuff as far as our music goes, you know, it's yeah. me and Mike's music. Yeah. Right. And so these were, these were songs that you didn't write for, for the shows and no. they weren't like theme songs or anything. They're just music that I got included on those shows. Uh, yeah. They, so... they would hear it and, you know, I, I mean, we always joke, like a lot of our songs always, you know, if there's a strip club club scene or something like that, they picked <laughs> for whatever reason, they yeah. picked one of our songs, you know, a sex <laughs> scene, they picked one of our songs. Oh, Anna nice. Nicole Smith, Anna Nicole Smith is driving down the highway and she's, you know, she's, sticking she's her going, hands out topless the sunroof. In the, in the car scene. Yeah. Topless. Wow. She's, she's, she's topless to, to one of our songs, which, hey, man, you know, uh, well, we're happy to oblige. Yeah, that's funny because, uh, you know, when you think about it, you know, your your strip club scene, uh, it depends on the budget that they have for music licensing. They, uh, you know, maybe their first thought is, uh, let's go girls, 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 Motley Crue. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, that's uh, an insanely expensive song. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, you know, hey, we're the yeah. affordable Motley Crue. Come on, <laughs> let's, let's yeah. use our music in that. But uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know, I don't want to, get too bogged down in the minutia, but that it sort of fascinates me. So because of that, do you guys get probably not huge, but do you still get residuals from songs that were used or do you uh, sell them for kind of oh, like yeah. forever? Yeah, How does that live. work? I was fascinated by the business side of things. So no, uh, we're still surprised every mean every quarter <laughs> we get a, a royalty statement from, you know, geez, for everything we've been on and it's still kind of, um, always interesting to see how many countries were being played and what shows and you know it's because it's always a quite a detailed report that we get but yeah still to this day and then this yeah. past year we just got picked up for um uh for this new documentary i think it's north, north by current or something something like that yeah so, north by current some bi 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 biography or something it, it, no it's a, doc a documentary about doc. somebody who goes right. back to uh their their roots and discovers how deteriorated their their neighborhood is and and they're struggling to get their family out of their you know this environment and they, they follow this person how they you know this whatever you want to call it not necessarily adventure but the struggle to get his family save his family out of the um, you know the bad neighborhoods or the slums in in Detroit. Well, it sounds like the song for that project would not fit in a strip club scene. So I think it's good. Uh, so I'm just uh, guessing. Yeah. That, uh, it's good to have a diverse body of work that, uh, you know, can be included in a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you'll hear sometimes you know, actors and my wife's a TV writer. So sometimes those those uh, royalty checks, you're like, oh, my gosh, look at this envelope. And you're like, oh, great. It's for 18 cents. That's fantastic. Right. You know? right. yeah. But uh 
Well, so that's great. So you guys continue to work together for all that time. And uh, uh, for those of you watching, you can see that uh, Tony's got some uh, some sweet in theory merch up on the wall. Uh, how does in theory come about uh, that uh, you guys start working on this specific project? And how long have you guys been doing it? Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Go ahead. Do you want me to do it? Um, no, go ahead, Mike. You, you tell the story better. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the theory came from um, originally I was doing a record, you know, the uh, the Go Go Tuner family record. I have this company, a tuner company, and um, I work with you know many high profile artists and, and all across many genres. So I decided to do a um, a roster record with all my artists, and it covers from hard rock to metal to blues to R and B to Disney ballads with orchestras to Latin, I mean, all across the board and I'm mixing, matching different folks that normally wouldn't be in those genres. So I'm putting a country guy on a metal song, like a, a great example, I do this like Sue Shred song and like, where would you ever hear a song like this where I have the bass player from Spyro Gyra, Ice T's band, the guitar player from Rat, um, you know, and then um, yeah, Johnny Highland, who's the, the, probably like the king of chicken picking, and then myself. And we put that on a metal track. So I was doing all stuff like that, trying to put people out of their comfort zone. Nobody was ever able to hear the track until they got to the studio. And um, anyway, so that's how I was starting that. But, what I, uh, but also what I wanted to do is I wanted to reunite with, with Tony and you know, create a, a band for 2020 or at the time 2019. And I didn't want to do what we did in the past. So I was like, Tony, how would we write in 2019? What would be our version now? Because, you know, since then, we've had so many life experiences, more musical experiences, you know, that, that's really just crept into you and now it's coming out of you. So we were able to bring that to the surface. And that's how In Theory came about is, um, you know, In Theory made technically its debut on that record. We did two songs on that record. And then, of course, there's other tracks people want to listen to it, where I have Tony singing with this uh, young gal um, doing, you know, she sort of sounds like Adele, and then Tony's doing his, his vocals with the Alabama Orchestra. So there's, there's a lot of little, um, there's a little bit more than just in theory on that, but that was the launch of in theory. And we got such a great response from the record, and then Tony's like, you know, let, and I'm like, yeah, let's keep continuing. And... You know, and then it just kept elevating and elevating, and the amount of interest we've been getting from radio and and you know hosts like yourself has just been you know tremendous. So we said we have to keep rolling and moving forward with this. And I have to say, you know, we we definitely you know worked. I mean, especially through the pandemic, you know, we just we killed ourselves over the last year, and now we have about like you know five songs in the, you know, done off this record and. We're can you know we're continuing to write. In fact, last night that's why I'm a little toasty today. <laughs> I, I ended up doing my session till about seven in the morning this morning, so I'm a little, I'm still recuperating. But um, you know, I'm proud to say we finished this next song, and now we're you know next week we'll start a, another batch. 
Wow, no, that's great to to. Uh, I mean, it's uh, you know, uh, you can't call that burning the midnight oil when uh, the the sun is up. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's such a that's such a that's a beyond an all nighter. You know, that's uh, that's actually pretty impressive. And I appreciate you uh, actually being with us. Uh, you know, if you were uh, up that late, uh, well, you're talking say, about it threw, it threw me off this morning to when it was uh, <laughs> you know it's the sunrise sunrise coming up. I'm like. Well, I went to the studio with some, and now it's it just threw me off. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we were talking about the new music, and uh, I did want to talk about uh, the the river song, which is uh, the new song that uh, you guys have out now. And uh, for those that are watching our our video version, uh, you'll actually see the uh, music video uh, up on the screen uh, while we talk about this song. Uh, talk about the river uh, and uh, where where the idea for the song comes from. I thought it was interesting that a song called The River, I was reading a description of it that called it Swampy, uh, which, you know, not only is another body of water, but it uh, it kind of captures what that sound is. Uh, why don't I ask you first, uh, uh, Tony, uh, tell us about the river. Uh, well, the, the the river basically symbolizes... You know, obviously, it, it comes from the perspective of someone who's looking for their way in life, and for whatever reason, just can't find what they, they they're looking for answers. In other words, they're they're searching for their meaning in life, and the river symbolizes. It could be anything. It could be your maker, God, whoever you want it to be. And, and the water in the river symbolizes, you know, tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, basically. Like, wash me, you know, wash me in your river. Um, you know, travel, travel the long road, and my past is taken its toll. That's, that's the intro. And um, I think we can all relate to that. Like, we, you know, we've, we've been kicked around, and maybe there's things that we wanted to accomplish in our life, and we haven't gotten there, but... We also haven't given up, so it's very important. So we go to the river or go to whoever you want to go to and say, like the bridge says, give me a little bit of what you want from me. So basically asking, what do I got to do to get to what I, what I need to be, what, who I need to be? I could feel like I'm supposed to be doing something, and I'm not there yet. Help me, basically. That's, that's the encompass of what it's supposed to symbolize. Yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, sort of what it means, you know, creatively and what it means to you, Mike, uh, when you, you listen back to this song, and uh, as I said, people that are watching the video version, they're seeing the video, and uh, it, it's really just sort of a lot of uh, images of kind of outdoors. And uh, I think that uh, re it really kind of, it's sort of, you know, while you're listening and you're just sort of seeing all this, it sort of opens it up in terms of just thinking of yourself actually traveling, whether it's down to the river or just, you know, what a drive on the open road, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, talk about what this song says to you, uh, sort of about, you know, get, you know, just uh, having a, 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 this, this kind of an outlet, you know, basically like going down to the river. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it's not uh, funny, but um, you know, I think, the original theme of the song, The River, is because I'm always telling Tony about the river because 
if you know about do you know about muscle shoals and the theory of the river and the legend of the river um, i mean i've heard of muscle shoals but i don't know about the legend of the river no no yeah and that's a that's a big thing that's you know that's why there's been about three billion four billion records sold out of this small little nondescript uh town um you know going back from aretha franklin percy sledge oh, i mean it's it's kind of ridiculous who's recorded here and it's like i said in this economically depressed town but it's surrounded by the tennessee river and it goes back you know you know thousands of years with um was folklore with, with the indians saying it's, it's called singing river and there's inspiration from the river of music that you can hear at night and um it's it gives you this you know this inspiration of music that you, you didn't really think that was in you and you know and whether you interview the Rolling Stones or Bono or Paul Simon or Rival Sons or you, I mean you name almost every legend out there or Aretha Franklin like she like, like she said she couldn't get her groove on until she was here by the river believe it or not and um but it, it's almost everybody who talks about this place talks about this inspiration from the river. So I would always tell Tony about the river and the river. And every night I go to the river, I would take my dog to the river, you know, around sunset and, and, um, you know, and soak it in. And, and everybody who's ever come here, and Tony is one of those examples that I've um, brought to the river, they leave a different person. There is something about that, you know, inspires this music that you didn't think that was that was in you, so that's how this whole thing came about. It's a really great documentary, and they talk about the history and um, you know. And this one particular uh, woman, when the Indians were moved from Muscle Shoals, you know, back in the 1880s, 1890s, somewhere around that time, to reservations, to Oklahoma, she couldn't hear the music anymore. You know, she was a kid, 13, 14 years old. And so they couldn't do the dances, they couldn't do their chants, they couldn't do any of that on the reservation. The inspiration was no longer there. It took her five years to walk back from Oklahoma just to get back to Muscle Shoals so she can feel the inspiration from the river. Wow, that's uh, that's really actually uh, impressive to uh, you know spend that much time getting back there. You know, Tony, you mentioned at the beginning that you know you sort of growing up. Uh, I think you said Long Island. Uh, talk about going to somewhere that is so completely different. Not that you hadn't been anywhere, but uh, you know, experiencing that as a, as an out of towner and, and seeing it for the first time. You know, it's one thing probably for Mike to talk about it, but what was it like actually getting to uh, visit Muscle Shoals and just sort of take in the area where as mike said all this great music came from yeah it's uh i guess the words like surreal it's like you're like you've seen all these buildings like you know in the past all these you know even um wrong stones went down to muscle shoals to record a couple of songs and you know you always see pictures of these buildings and then you know when mike took me around when i first got there we you know we went to uh, a few few of these locations and uh, it's like Mike, Mike said, it's just like a building, but it's like you're looking at it and there's so much history there that there's, there's more to it than just the building, obviously. And uh, you sort of get that vibe when you're there. It's like 
like there, there's just something in the air, you know, and, uh, you know, when you're there, you get, you get motivated as a musician. You think of all the past people who've come there, you know, and, uh, you, you just get motivated. You just, you just get into a different frame of mind almost, at least for me, you know, you get into a different frame of mind and I'm very per perceptive person. So I'm, I'm just feeling all this stuff. And then, when we go into, you know, record or, or even honestly, even to take pictures, it just puts you in a certain mood. Um, but it was, it, it was really cool. You know, you hear all the stories and, you know, even like, uh, you know, Steven Tyler went down there and did a lot of stuff and he touched the walls where all the famous people were singing and he'd cry and, you know, you just get a vibe off of that. Like if, if you're yeah, open to Steven that. Steven Tyler broke down crying. He told the story on Joe yeah. Rogan that, he had to touch the walls and he just broke down crying and feeling the energy. And then he ended up recording yeah. some stuff down here. Yeah. Uh, and, and just because I wanted to be sure, uh, I, I did uh, take a second to look up. So the, uh, the Rolling Stones songs, the best known two that they recorded there are Brown Sugar and Wild Horses. And uh, especially like Brown Sugar, when you think about, uh, you know, there's, so many great stone songs that we could spend an hour talking about it, but it's just getting that distinctive sound and those, those songs going on to become so iconic. It, it shows that when you're a well-oiled machine, like the Rolling Stones were at that point, but then it's like, yeah, but it's going to give you a little bit of a different spin. And yeah, I, I, you know what you're saying about Steven Tyler, I'm sure that, uh, you know, just getting to go somewhere. And I don't know, I think sometimes, you know, just as somebody who listens to music, you can tell the difference sometimes from like where a band actually is living when yeah. they're recording. It's not so much about yeah. the physical location of the, of the recording studio. Not that that couldn't be a big part of it, but where are they spending their other time when they're not actually playing? And uh, sometimes that, uh, I think that really comes across. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, do you do you guys uh, get together and actually record these songs, or were you doing it over the pandemic and just sending them back and forth, or were you uh, taking the time to get in studio together, Mike? Well, Tony and I. Well, well Tony was staying in New York because of the pandemic. Um, with the exception of Tony, I, I was around this pretty much just, uh, traveling, you know, with with the musicians going all over the country, just recording. Uh, but the majority of what I did was out in Muscle Shoals. But Tony and I did a lot of Zoom sessions, a lot of writing sessions. I mean, almost on a daily basis. Um, so it almost felt like we were in, in the studio together. Um, now I always, again, I always make the joke that you know Tony, want, especially at that time, wanted to kill me because every day, you know, we were pushing each other. We were pushing each other just so hard. Um, over it was like six, seven month period just to, you know, to get these tracks just right. But um, yeah, but Tony and I really was pretty much almost five, six days a week, just going back and forth, just sending back tracks. And, you know, and we, like I said, we put up the Zoom or we do FaceTime and I play him a rip and then he would sing me a rip. And, you know, there was a lot of collaboration that way. So it was, it was I feel that we, we were, you know, while we're technically not in the same room, we were physically in the same room. 
Sure. Yeah. And I think just the way the technology is now, I mean, I was uh, speaking to somebody uh, yesterday. I was uh, talking to uh, Jeff Pilsen, who people know from Doc and a lot of other work that he's done. He's a uh, foreigner now. Uh, he was just talking about how he was able to collaborate in a way where he works with uh, George Lynch, the guitarist, and he was in a different studio, but the way that it works now, you can actually control the levels from somebody else's studio using your computer in your house. And so I think that, you know, trying to do this even 10, much less 20, 30 years ago would be really hard because you'd be like, you know, mailing tapes back and forth or whatever. Uh, So I think that the fact that everything can be done so virtually, you know, and like, you know, whole radio shows happen where no one's in the same room anymore. And and it just sounds like they're having a conversation in the same room. Uh, And did you find that the collaboration, uh, Tony, was probably a little bit different than what you were used to, but that uh, it was still pretty effective way to work together? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, get back to the whole virtual thing. I mean, the the thing about, I believe, like our stuff, it, it doesn't sound like that's what happened. Like we sound like we're in the same studio and unfortunately with a lot of stuff that I hear, it sounds like, okay, let me do a guitar track. I'll send it to you. Okay. Let me do a bass track. I'll send. And it sounds cool, but it doesn't sound like a band. I I honestly believe that our stuff, you would never know that we weren't in the same studio and because we were constantly in communication and talking and stuff like that. Um, it, well, it was I a think to add to that too, me. I was going to say to cut Tony off. Sorry, Tony, but to add to Tony's point, with all the musicians, whether it's a bass player, drummer, or backup singers, or keyboardists, you know, everybody was always in the room. So Tony was always the guy that was stuck in New York, you know, for for the pandemic. But I also think that's part of why we had the vibe, as well, like the band vibe, because that's very important that. At least my per, my perspective as a producer is that I have to be there. I want to see the interaction. I want to give my input. So whether I'm recording in California or recording in Muscle Shoals, I had to be there for every minute of, of the recording. Because Tony is right. I do believe when he just mail tracks back and forth, I know. I think you lose the interaction. You lose like the reaction. Like I'm playing a song from you, and I, I see like a reaction out of your your face, then I may want to play a little bit different. I may want to play a little bit harder. I want to maybe do something where I'm like, oh, yeah, he liked that. You know, and then, you know, that makes you play a little bit different. And then you watch me react, and, you know, and back and forth. And then that's where I think the magic of music comes from. It's the interaction of all these folks. But when you just mail in tracks, which, you know, and again, it's effective for a lot of people and it works, but I just think you lose a little bit of the magic of what, really makes music yeah and uh you know to that point mike i can imagine it's a lot of like non-verbal cues even though you could see everybody on a screen just like we are right now if you're actually like playing in the same room there could be sort of like a kind of like a nod of the head or just like a sort of look of the eye and all that but uh tony i can imagine that it was still uh it was still effective for you to kind of feel it maybe it helped that they were all in the same room but, uh, you know, it certainly doesn't come across as something where, you know, the 
the the vocal came in a, a lot after the fact so uh, i'm sure that everybody's uh, happy with the way it turned out uh in terms of uh Thanks. you know reading the uh the, pre the press release that i got uh tony uh you know i'd earlier i had uh heard you know last fall i heard the song heroes that you guys put out uh and then this song uh the river i think one of the things in that press release that i that i saw that i thought was true uh really comes across and uh they uh not to embarrass you but it does compare you to chris cornell and lane staley those are both two great distinctive voices and the chris cornell thing really comes through in this song when you say river gonna save and uh i i mean that as a as a high compliment that uh yes. it evoked chris cornell you know who is obviously one of the greatest singers of the last 30 years and uh did you feel like uh like chris was a was an influence on you you know when you just started actually singing you know was that somebody that you you felt like oh i mean uh who who isn't going to be impressed by him but was he a, a direct inspiration on you yeah he um i mean i appreciate that and when i hear that it's like you know i'm like come on chris cornell is he's yeah a vocal god you know what i mean um, but sure. I, I definitely would like to have somewhat of what I hear in him come out in me. Um, so when I hear that, it makes me feel good. Like there's just a lot of singers that I admire, you know, um, Chris is, Chris Cornell's one of the guys, uh, Lane Stanley, he's one of those guys. Uh, recently, J.B. Cannon from Rival Sons is one of those guys, uh, you know, anywhere from Glenn Hughes. You know, to rob a plant. I mean, I, I, you know, whenever someone said it, sort of sound like one of those guys. I'm like, you know, it's it's a uh, so you know, uh, it it's it's amazing, you know. But to be compared to Chris or Elaine or, or whoever it might be, it is great. But more importantly, it, it I think it's the sound of the band. Like it works. That the band is the sound, and the, the singer is part of the band, and. And I think that's what those singers brought out. Like they weren't just amazing singers. They were great. They were in great bands that wrote great songs. And, and, and I think that's what our band is, is part of. Like they call it now the new modern, the, the modern classic rock, which they put, you know, Rival Sons, um, you know, um, all these other like bands, uh, you know, Dirty Honey and bands like that into that group which is to me is more like a throwback to the 70s rock and roll you know where it's just like musicianship and great songs and we're going to kick your ass every night on stage and uh you know I, I i think that we fit into that group not only do we fit into that group i think that we also have our own sound so we don't we're not really copying anyone but we're all in that same that same vibe so all that stuff is just really cool to me and you know, uh, I appreciate the compliment. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a great point talking about, you know, a band like uh, Rival Sons or, or Dirty Honey. I mean, it, these, those are bands who I think they're well produced, but they're not overly polished. You know, I think that distinction is so important because right. obviously an album can be way too overproduced, you know, and yeah. uh, you lose something. But I think that uh, they're examples of bands that certainly aren't. And I, I think that that's kind of what you're saying is this sort of modern classic rock. It, it's like, yeah, these don't sound like songs that were recorded 45, 50 years ago, 
but you kind of feel like you did when you listen to them. And uh, I don't know. I, I, do yeah. you feel like Mike, that that's something that you guys are able to capture with the songs you've done as in theory so far? Yeah, I think exactly that's what we've been able to capture is um, I feel like we have one foot, you know, in, in the, you know, in the seventies and one foot modern, you know, so, so if we put that title together, actually, it's probably correct. You know, we are like a modern classic rock. Um, but that was very important to bring it. We want to bring it, like I said, bring it to a modern sound, but keep the rawness of how the bands used to record and play in the 70s. So uh, there's there's this song, The River, and uh, as I mentioned, Mike, you and I spoke uh, in the fall about Heroes. What kind of uh, reaction have you been getting to the music you've been putting out? Uh, and I should let people know that they can find, uh, let's see, In Theory Original is Instagram, and In Theory Band is the website uh, for people that want to uh, keep tabs on uh, where they can find you. Uh, what kind of, uh, what are some of the, the things you've been hearing as people have listened to the music you've put out and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the more uh, encouraging things you've heard uh, in that time? Well, always, you know, it's funny. The very first thing is, um, well, there's always two things. First, always people, there's, they're always complimenting Tony. It's, it's always like, who is that singer? <laughs> That's always one of the first top reactions. And um, so I really think like Tony's, you know, really just emerged as like the next crop of, you know, like these great singers that could be like the next vocal legends, you know, uh, um, like you're saying, like a Cornell. I do think in a lot of ways he's the, the next coming of a Cornell or a Tyler or one of those guys. You know, he, he has all that. Um, but as far as, um, you know, like, like were you talking about like style? Is that what we were talking about on this? Yeah, uh, just, yeah. I think the, the feedback we've been getting is people can't really pinpoint what we're about so they can hear like oh i hear a little soundgarden i hear a little zeppelin oh i hear a little you can even hear like a little rage against the machine they hear a little bit just enough there's enough of a blend of everything where it sounds familiar but it still sounds fresh and that's been other feedback we're getting like we've never heard this which is why we were coined by a few djs like we're like the swap metal or the swap rock because there is a a swappiness to it, but it's still rock, you know, maybe more rock. So there, there's, we've been getting a lot of that. And the other thing that we get, there's a lot of depth to our music, whether it's lyrically or production wise. And I always recommend, you know, listening to our music through headphones. Um, and then you can actually really start hearing what we've done, um, you know, again, from a production standpoint, when you hear, wait, there's this instrument. Oh, wait, we're taking this out. We're, we're dropping this note. We're bringing this in. It's it's really kind of like, you know, like how I used to listen to records. I would listen to it, you know, 5,000 times. I would listen to those records when I was a kid. I would hear something new each time. And I think we're able to capture that within theory. Like every time you put it on, you will hear something that you, you know, that was, Maybe you didn't hear the first hundred times, and all of a sudden, like, oh my god! And then realize this keyboard's doing this thing over here, or oh, I didn't hear. The, now we're changing the melody of the vocal here, but it's not obvious. So there's, there's a lot of little uh, nuances 
that we've been able to, to put into our music. And a lot of music, musicians and people that really love music and really dig deep, they're the ones that really uh, have been picked up, picking up on that. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely agree with uh, what you're saying in terms of uh, you know a good pair of headphones. Uh, you'll you'll definitely hear things that you know if you listen to it those five thousand times without headphones, and then you listen to it you know five thousand more with headphones. It's uh, it, you know I think the first time I was ever like really listening, listening with headphones, and you start to hear you know things in different ears, and then it sounds like it's moving behind you, and you're like. Oh yeah, that doesn't right. come across at all when you're like you know driving in your car listening on the radio, you know. So uh, I think it's uh, great to be able to enjoy that. Uh, well, uh, guys, it's uh, great to get the chance to talk to you. And uh, what is uh, next? I assume you guys have some more music that you're going to put out there. And uh, is there any prospect of uh, live shows either either later this year, maybe next year? Uh, what do you think, Tony? Do you feel like that's something that might be in the cards, or is it still too early to tell just yet? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely in the cards. Um, I mean, right now, focus is on getting uh, these batches of songs done and and possibly getting our first EP done, you know. And then, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we can get on the road, maybe, you know, get an opening slot with somebody or, you know, do our own thing. Um, but I, I, I think, I think as powerful as the, uh, the songs are that are recorded, I think live would, live would be another level. Uh, it would be really cool to, uh, bring these songs to life on stage in front of people. Um, you know, cause me, me and Mike come from that old school way. We, we used to rehearse six days a week and, everything is about a stage show, you know, and with this whole pandemic, we haven't really gotten a chance to, uh, that's a whole nother thing. Like you see a lot of these bands now, they're getting back and doing virtual concerts or live concerts, just to be in a room with the guys and rehearse. It's like, a, you know, it's like you're starting over almost, you know, it's a really cool thing. So I can only imagine when our time comes that, uh, that it's going to be amazing. But I, but I think we want to get our music done and then, Hopefully we can now start doing shows and we have we have an EP to sell and, and give to people and things like that. Um, yeah, Mike, in terms of, uh, you know, more music to put out, uh, is there is there something that's uh, that's close that uh, you guys plan to put out soon or you're just uh, continue to work? And when it when it's ready, that's when it goes up. And again, people can find uh -huh. it in theoryband.com well, we or in theory original on Instagram. What's that? Well, we have, we have three more that are ready. Uh, Great. What we'll probably do is release one more single, and we'll wait, and then we'll release a, the EP after that. But we're going to do one more single with the video. Um, and right now we are working on the video, which is uh, it's a whole other process. But um, that'll, you know, the we're looking at uh, probably about another three weeks, and that video will be done. And... Um, yeah, again, it'll take some. It'll take the listener on a roller coaster of, of what Interior is about, and um, you know, it's so yeah, it, it's uh, it's exciting because it just seems like as we keep progressing, there is such an evolution in our sound, and every time we start moving forward, you know, we, we're just discovering. It just feels like we're on the tip of the iceberg of discovering our sound, but each time we're doing it, we're just getting better and better and better. And I think it's surprising us as well. Of course, you're trying to achieve it, 
but when you're getting the results, it's like, wow, this is, we are getting better and better and better. And there's, again, there's a lot more surprises come in. And uh, in fact, we just got done cutting a track. I won't mention, uh, you know, some special guests, but we brought in some special guests that will be on the record that are, you know, some some other legends. Not that, that we don't have the legends on our other stuff, but uh, but yeah, so there'll be some more curves and twists for, you know, for the fans in theory. And I'm sure it's probably guys that you maybe possibly have interviewed on, on your show as well, but, you know, they're, they're part of the evolution of the band. Well, and if, uh, if nothing else, uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's music that sounds great to be played, whether it's on the headphones off the headphones, inside the strip club, outside of the strip club, wherever it might possibly be played. Uh, I've really enjoyed what I've heard so far from In Theory and uh, looking forward to uh, the next few songs and hopefully uh, seeing you guys live sometime, uh, whether it's this year, next year, somewhere down the road. Uh, thanks again yeah. to uh, Mike Mostert and Tony Cavino. And I said it before, I'll remind you, InTheoryBand.com at in theory original on instagram thanks so much for your time guys i really appreciate it thank you thanks for the kind words and all the support we, we really appreciate it absolutely thank you for having us thank you for having us oh, man. Absolutely. We, we really thank you. do thank appreciate you guys. it thank you guys for uh for making new music you know it's uh it's tough to find the good stuff out there so i always appreciate it when it comes my way and uh th- this has all been great and i can't wait to hear more thanks again to thank the you. guys from in theory Thanks again, Mike and Tony, and thanks again to Aaron Lee. Come on back for our fifth consecutive episode this week, a big Friday show where we will chat with another couple of musicians for interviews with Sidney Pierce. His band is currently called ASMR, but previously his band had the tremendous name of Super Nintendo Bros. We'll also have a follow-up chat with JT Lux. So come on back tomorrow, which will be next time on... The Bladcast. I've been called worse, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm in the uh, small elite that know that it's uh, Mostert. Right. Wait, it's Mostert now. Well, I had like it right the 49ers, the first time. right? Yeah, <laughs> I had it right the first time, right? It's Mostert. It's Mostert, right. Yeah, okay. So then it got in my head, and I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Anyway, all right, so we'll get started now. We're we're actually live now already. This is a little, little bonus for people watching live. Joining me now are Mike Mostert, 
see now i did it it's it, it, no i had it right <laughs> see we were right. doing this before we got started i had it right and then it gets into your head as soon as it's like well don't say it the wrong way 